welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. I'm very excited to be interviewing my guest today, Mr. Angus Mitchell, son of the late Paul Mitchell, who was co-founder of the Paul Mitchell product range. Angus is not only a talented hairdresser in his own right, but he's also co-owner of John Paul Mitchell Systems and a proud father to his young son, Dylan. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss the challenges with living up to the reputation of a famous father, why Hawaii is the spiritual home of John Paul Mitchell Systems, Angus's love of cars, the importance of philanthropy and environmental issues, business and life lessons. So it's an absolute pleasure to be able to interview Angus Mitchell for this episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Welcome to the show, Angus. Thank you, Anthony. Pleasure to be here. I get very, very excited. I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually determined to ask you some questions that you haven't been uh, asked before, or at least get some answers that you haven't uh, said before. So, so let's uh, start off with Hawaii. Um, I know that you have a home there that I was lucky enough to visit a couple of years back. Uh, but, I, but I know that it's, it's more than just somewhere where you live sometimes. It's also part of uh, your and the brand's sort of DNA. So uh, talk to us about that. Well, um, obviously, uh, Hawaii is my favorite place to actually talk about because it's a lot of uh, my uh, wonderful, beautiful memories of the uh, humble beginnings of where my father and I had our best uh, uh, memories together. And, uh, you know, I think uh, when I bring myself back to that moment in those days um, when my father had uh, had uh, left New York and sold everything and left uh, uh, sold a salon and um, left the, the big lights in the big city uh, to uh, find a very sweet, quiet place for him to um, reflect and uh, uh, find himself spiritually. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's quite amazing to, to be in the era, as you know, uh, the sixties uh, coming out of, um, out of um, out, out of England uh, with the blow dryer that the um, United States had never seen before, uh, and then opening up the first Vidal Sassoon salon in uh, Manhattan, and then opening up his um, his his uh, first salon that was called the Crimpers, uh, and then moving on to uh, his next salon called Super Hair, and creating uh, the first cutting club in America, to saying, okay, I need to stop. And finding himself on this beautiful little house, which was a guest cottage on the beach, on a very uh, secluded area, not a very high-end area by any means, mm. a very humble area where uh, houses normally would always get um, broken into at, at uh, certain times. And uh, it was just a studio home. And the bedroom was a bed that had curtains around it. So you just pulled the curtains shut and that was your bedroom. Um, he, he had a little hot plate to cook his food. Uh, we had a Volkswagen bus van that broke down on the side, and that was our guest cottage. And if we had more guests, we had a tent that we'd pop up. We had this amazing um, hammock from palm tree to palm tree um, on the beach end of the house that was directly at a desk where he would sit and work. And it, he, would, he would be able to peer over the, the hammock and see uh, the beach and the water. And uh, those are the memories that I really have that really kind of uh, anchor um, who Paul became and who he was when he decided to create his brand. Right. Um, you know, he was always one that always wanted to uh, uh, give back to the hair industry that had given him so much, uh, but also to reflect on, um, on I think, his journey, uh, choosing to find meditation and yoga, uh, became a very strict vegetarian. And as a little boy coming from New York to visit his father, I thought that was very strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was one who did not understand the yoga and the meditation and I wanted a hamburger and I was out of luck, Anthony, mm -hmm. just out of luck. I didn't get any hamburgers. I got tofu burgers. I didn't, maybe that's why I don't like tofu so much these days. 
But I, um, I, I love it. I'm a I'm a vegetarian, so that's perfect. For me. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was very interesting when it became Thanksgiving here in in America. I, I I was the one who didn't get a turkey, but that's okay. Don't feel sorry for me. Um, so, but um, you know, it, it was those humble beginnings uh, that I really um, that that really holds dear uh, to uh, my heart and those memories. Um, and then, so of when course, you, when you were in in uh, New York as a, a, a young boy, I don't know how old you were. Can you remember your dad's salons? You, you alluded to two of them a minute ago. Uh, well, I just remember um, pushing my cars on the floor because he had these, uh, the way that he designed uh, the uh, salon was he had designed um, a curved cove from the wall to, to the uh, floor, right. specifically so that the hair would not get stuck Okay. in the corner back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's how far ahead of, of his times, uh, of his time that he was back then. In fact, um, talk about uh, Paul Mitchell shampoo. I think the first Paul Mitchell shampoo started at his salon in New York that was called super hair. He actually had beakers and would create individual shampoo for individual clients at that time. So yeah. Paul's mind was already then thinking about, uh, product and and a shampoo, but it was at the time that he took away when he stepped away um, that I believe you know bringing the blow dryer to America, um, changing the way that people d uh, did hair, taking uh, you know uh, people sitting underneath dryers and setting hair in rollers to blow drying to then thinking how can you maximize and build. Uh, more of a clientele back to back and, and to save time. And that was through hair sculpting. So um, with his education, when he began to really kind of focus on what he wanted to do and how to help the hairdresser become a better business person was through uh, product of sales and also being able to work on a bigger volume of clientele by not wasting uh, their time um, extracting moisture from a blow dryer and okay. just setting their hair into something beautiful like a finger wave, something quite simple, and then having them sit underneath the dryer, then allowing him to be able to work on the next client. Then that client, when, when the, uh, when the uh, sculpting lotion had already set, just let them walk out the door and yeah. tell them that they could brush their hair a couple hours later. They could have two different looks, a wet look and a beautiful dry look. Yeah. As um, as the day would actually, uh, and uh, was, was that was that the beginning of sculpting lotion, the product, that was like the, the very first... beginning of sculpting lotion, and that was really uh, the true um, success of our company. Because you know, yeah. at the end of the day, people can come out and they can make a shampoo, but what makes your business, what makes your company different than any other? And it was the education mm. behind it. Mm. Um, Paul's uh, passion and his way that he was able to uh, communicate with people is just beautiful. He was like the Pied Piper of the hair industry. He was one of those people that would just, um, he had no fear. Uh, I would just remember all these different um, inventions that uh, people would come to him with. Uh, there was one that was called the jewel setter, uh, just basically a, a round cylinder attached to a comb and being able to work the comb to do finger waves and then to use the, uh, the round cylinder as as the handle to be able to set hair into um, little rolls. Um, everything from a curved comb that his friend actually boiled in a pot of of, um, of a hot wa water, and then he'd bend it in a U shape, and then he'd use it as a clipper, uh, as a uh, clipper guard. Um, the flat topper, remember those? The yeah, flat yeah, top. I've got one somewhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I have one of my father's still. And then, of course, <laughs> it had, like, level in it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, and then, of course, uh, Robert um, reminds me. And also, of uh, we don't have a lot of footage, but the footage that we do have, uh, I remember my father uh, setting hair with, um, with uh, balloons. And, mm. uh, you know, uh, set, he would set the hair in a balloon, and then he'd pop the balloon. And then, of course, with our hair sculpting lotion, it would still it, hold its shape. Uh, yeah. Have these great, um, beautiful uh, looks that were quite constructed. And then, yeah. of course, he'd brush it down and get all soft and wavy and long and gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, really magical. And also thinking about the '80s too, right? I yeah. mean, 
I remember just all the hair began to come off, <laughs> right? And then the shoulder pads become the shoulder uh, the shoulder pads in the clothing got bigger and the hair got shorter. Definitely. Um, and I think that's where uh, I really watched my father get really excited. Um, but uh, he was a man who was so good with so many different tools, clippers, scissors. Uh, he was a fantastic hairstylist. Um, that, uh, you know, as you know, Anthony, um, back in the late fifties and sixties, in order to get your name out, you had to win all of these, um, hair, uh, uh, competitions. And the more you would win, then the more likely you would get a job back in England or or, uh, Mm. in, uh, in London. So, uh, uh, he had such a, an amazing, um, uh, arsenal of different techniques, uh, but at, but but also with that, he had this beautiful presence uh, and ability to be able to capture people. Um, mm. And so, for me, I just felt so lucky. Um, I once told my father, um, I think I was six years old, and, and I'll never forget it because we were always. I felt so comfortable in his presence as a little boy when he'd come to uh, New York and visit me. And um, I said to him, I said, you know, dad, the tree doesn't fall far from, um, from uh, the apple. And my father laughed. He said, no, son, it's the other way around. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I said, no, dad, I've known you before. I knew you in the past life. Wow. And, um, so, yeah, you know, it, it was just a very, a very beautiful, beautiful uh, um, spiritual relationship that I had with him. Yeah. I, I know that you hadn't started hairdressing uh, before your father passed away. Um, uh, what you were, you were 18 or 19 or something, weren't you, when he passed away? Did you, did, but did you have any sort of hair conversations with him or was that just not on your agenda at that point in time? Um, you know, I really found it obviously fascinating. Uh, there was always beautiful uh, ladies coming in and out of, of the house. We had a, a little uh, area. Well, we had an area specific for him to uh, shoot hair. So we had a little studio. Um, uh, sometimes he would get us. I don't know how he did, but some of the prettiest girls in my high school would end up at my house. And it was <laughs> one I couldn't talk to because I was too shy and embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, oh my God, one of the ladies, her name was Tia Carrera. Does, does that make a no, Wayne's World? Okay. She was the main character in the movie Wayne's World. And this girl was just okay. drop dead gorgeous. I could not even speak two words to her. I was just yeah. lustered. And here's my father setting her hair and shooting her by the pool and in the, in, in the uh, studio. And I, I remember saying, Dad, um, you know, do you think you could... Uh, teach me a couple of things, you know? Uh, he said, you know, son, I would love to teach you, but what's more important to me right now is that you concentrate on your high school and get yourself into college. And I really want you to um, educate yourself. So unfortunately, no, I did not get the opportunity to be able to work with him. But um, did, did he you know, know that you were going to pursue hairdressing? I don't or- know. I don't know. For me, um, I found myself more uh, drawn to um, acting. Uh, So in my high school, um, that's how I got popular. I was not popular because I was Paul Mitchell's son, except uh, Mm -hmm. during those times, the the, uh, current look was the mall bang. Uh, In America, it was the bangs stood straight up into the sky and uh, okay. most of the girls would say, do you think your father could make the hairspray stronger? I think we were in the competition with um, Aquanet and we won. That's for sure. Uh, but um, back to uh, high school, um, it was, I got popular because of all the, the plays I was doing and I was very comfortable in that arena. And um, when my father passed, I felt like it was my duty to honor my father Mm. And to at least try um, going through the uh, beauty school uh, cosmetology in in America, which was uh, sixteen hundred hours uh, that you would have to collect to be able to get your beauty license to become a hairdresser. 
And I thought to myself, well, what's 1600 hours of my life's time, which would be the equivalent of 10 months mm-hmm. to see if I would like it or see if I should pursue it. Um, but Anthony, I, I got to tell you, it was probably one of the most difficult uh, decisions and difficult things I have ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people automatically had have, have thought, well, you know, Angus, it's in your genes, it's in your blood. Uh, it should be easy for you. Um, one of the ladies uh, who was a close friend and a platform artist with my father, um, not too long into beauty school, said, Angus, are you good? And I said, well, I'm okay. She's like, well, if you're just okay, quit now because you'll never be as good as your father. So, I mean, I had all of that against me. Uh, the uh, school, some of the teachers there were kind of like, they thought I was there because I had to. They didn't know I was there because I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a great divide in the school of the support I would get and the and the support I wasn't getting. Obviously, yeah. they were trying to push me out. But Anthony, I had to tell was, you, was this when you were? Was this at Sassoon that you did? This was at Sassoon, yeah, in, in California. California. Right. Okay. Yeah. At, at that time, uh, they were uh, the best education. And I still believe they are fantastic and I'm very proud of my Sassoon roots. But at the same time, Anthony, I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I didn't have to fight so hard for it. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, I never say woe is me. I, I just know what, what my journey was. And, and through my journey, I know what I expect from the people that work around me. You know, it's that level of, um, of a master craft uh, and also humility. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the hardest part was because I was, because I chose to do it to honor my father, I put so much pressure on myself. Mm. I just couldn't relax. So for the first good five years um, of my profession, I couldn't calm down. I mean, getting up on stage with Robert Cromines and Gene Bra. Gene Bra being um, my father's uh, uh, right hand for the beginning of the company until, um, and, well, far, far beyond past my father's passing. Um, that was like probably one of the most nerve wracking moments I ever had in my entire life. In fact, mm. I'll never forget the first time I was on stage with, um, with uh, Robert and with Gene, and Gene said, oh, why don't you just do something easy like a bob? Well, first of all, we all know that bobs are not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, second of all, this girl's hair was so thick, they said, well, why don't you pre-cut her backstage, and then you can come out on stage with us. Well, this is my first time on stage with Gene Bra in a Paul Mitchell um, hair show with 500 people in San Diego and Robert. And their pace is super fast. You know, the pace that Jeannie yeah. had, her whole thing was quick and dirty. And Robert with his uh, master clippers. So in, within 40 minutes, Anthony, I was a sweaty, dripping mess. I was wearing a white T-shirt. I should not have worn a white T-shirt. I would have won the wet T-shirt contest for sure. And I turned the model around. And this is now probably 35 minutes into it. Robert has already done seven haircuts. Jean has already done probably five different changes in hairstyles and I'm just muscling through and the microphone is a black uh, foam ball in front of my face, which I kept thinking it was a fly. And at certain times I think I kept trying to swat it away. And I looked at my model and I saw it was longer on one side. And would you believe I wasn't smart enough to just go to go along with it and go, it's supposed to be asymmetric. I actually looked at her with my back towards the audience and I said, don't worry, it's going to be okay. <laughs> You're not the first one to have done that. The audience hears all of this, and here's my hand shaking as it's moving towards her eyeball. Oh yeah. my god, man! I tell you. But um, you know, did you I mean, enjoy? Did you enjoy doing hair? Like, because you put a lot of pressure on yourself. You've got a dad who's like, you know, a very high profile hairdresser the world over, and you've gone and pushed yourself right out there. I mean, you know, and uh, I mean, a lot of people try and take you down along the way, so to speak. But did you did you find some enjoyment in doing it? Um, you know, yes. Yes, I did. And because I, 
I knew that every time I would go out there, I was doing something good. I was, I was honoring my father. I was honoring the Paul Mitchell brand and, and I was learning myself. Um, yeah. As I said, the first five years of my career was really my toughest. I felt like I was like, I bored the, the crown and the cross on my back that I dragged along with me for so long. Um, as I began to get further on in my career and began to relax and began to just kind of do things my way is when I felt like all that weight was beginning to uh, come yeah. off my shoulders as well. Um, you know, I think as some of us who, who decide to choose the uh, career path as a educator, um, it's so much different as the career path as a salon stylist, mm. uh, as a career path as a platform artist. And there's so many fantastic um, educators out there, obviously coming from a Sassoon uh, uh, culture. Um, I tried so hard to uh, replicate that um, and then bring that into our palmitual world and then create an education platform that would uh, rival uh, Sassoon's as well. Um, and then to bring that type of uh, education format into Paul Mitchell, that was not easy either because uh, Paul Mitchell quite wasn't there yet. In my, uh, in my career journey uh, with the company, we actually hired uh, someone who was uh, Sassoon based, Mr. Scott Cole um, and Linda um, Yodici. And uh, that's when things really began to kind of take off. Mm. Uh, Paul Mitchell then began to see um, the importance of, the, of this type of education and this type of haircutting. Uh, but what's so great about Paul Mitchell, the brand is it, there's so much diversity. Uh, mm. So with that became a great um, tool for us to be able to, uh, you know, really break down education through hair cutting and through hair color. But then what Paul Mitchell also had was the quick and dirty uh, and the showmanship um, and then the, salon uh, business uh, through uh, Robert Crow means. Um, and I think where we are today, Anthony, we are probably one of the strongest educational um, com companies out there. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. One of the best, for sure. Yeah. When you left, um, you know, beauty school, when you'd, you'd done your 1600 hours, et cetera, what, what I, I heard a rumor that you opened a salon at some point in time, but I have no idea whether that's even true. Um, <laughs> so I'm just dropping that in the conversation here. Did you open a salon? Yes, I did. And okay. I got to tell you, wow, that was um, quite an experience. We were open for, for five years um, yeah. and I did it differently. I did it to honor our schools. Um, so I only hired uh, kids that graduated from our Paul Mitchell Cosmetology School. Uh, which, as you know, could be a recipe for disaster because I'm not hiring uh, salon stylists that have clientele yeah. and without experience. So um, I took it upon myself to uh, take them through some very, um, you know, uh, thorough and strict uh, hair hair cutting guides um, uh, through. Uh, certain looks that, that they could rep replicate um, on clients and then had to, you know, really um, do what I could to, as every salon owner knows, how do you stimulate and how do you excite someone to go out and get clients, which is what I loved about when I worked at Sassoon's because when you had to test on certain haircuts, you had to run out on Third Street Promenade or in a mall or in a grocery store and you had to find the model and bring them in to yeah. do the certain haircut. Although I have to admit today, Anthony, don't you think it'd be pretty hard to tell someone you'd be perfect for the Dorothy Hamill, a Firefly, <laughs> or a GD? I mean, yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, but I'm proud to say that uh, through the uh, leadership and the hard work that I created within those five years, um, some uh, those stylists that had worked with me and that I groomed and that I uh, that I worked with, um, they are still all very good friends. They're all successful yeah. in their own right. Uh, I did have to make a, a decision, and that was where was my time most valuable. Is uh, I had to find myself uh, 
I, I had to ask myself, where was I most valuable? And I found myself saying, I'm more valuable at Paul Mitchell on the road with the leadership there than I am yeah. working by Salam. Because the more time I was away, then the more, the more, uh, the, uh, the, um, as I, as I'm sure for most salon owners, when we're away from our business, then the morale becomes low. Yeah. And it's important that they see and they have that leadership and they, and, and they have that ownership standing there. Um, it's, uh, how did how did owning a salon and then you know and being a partner in the Paul Mitchell product company, John Paul Mitchell Systems, uh, how did that influence what you then did and the product side of things, or didn't it influence? Well, I mean, proudly we were in. Um, I was the only Beverly Hills salon that was a Paul Mitchell focused salon, obviously. So thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And then that was great because we got to use uh, the Paul Mitchell got to use the uh, salon for a lot of their product shots. Um, and then also, uh, you know, uh, at Paul Mitchell, we as we begin to um, explore um, with different products, they're sent to a handful of different artists. So it was nice for me to be able to have that salon platform to be able to experiment okay. with different products as they began to move forward. Like uh, my favorite one, um, Mitch is my favorite men's grooming product. Uh, some of the uh, Paul Mitchell um, Avapui as it began to uh, be, be uh, as it began to become its own uh, line, uh, yeah. we got to experiment with some of the treatments. So it was very, very uh, helpful and, a great uh, experience in my uh, life's journey of mm. uh, being able to understand the whole world. Uh, you know, even getting to experience a a, um, a um, employee uh, walkout. <laughs> great, <laughs> so you've, you've, been, you've experienced everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it, that's a very humbling ex experience for sure. And yeah. then being able to keep it on track and keep the client uh, keep to keep the clientele that we had, but to keep the uh, salon staff that we were left with uh, confident and um, and uh, secure. Um, and then also to uh, realize after five years when it was time to uh, hold them and know when, when to fold them. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, okay. Five know, years, uh, it? Okay. All right. Um, I'll just go back to Hawaii for a minute um, because your, your dad and JP were environmentalists long before their time. I know when I was in Hawaii with you a couple of years ago, you were telling me about solar cars um, that they had in the early 80s. Um, just just tell us about that. Talk to us about that area at that time. Uh, well, that's my favorite era. I mean, gosh, between uh, dad being on the beach and uh, leaving New York behind to uh, paying off all of the bills um, uh, that they incurred to start the company, and then finally having money to spend. And it was his uh, dream to uh, create this uh, self-sufficient, carbon-free uh, footprint um, piece of property. And uh, this is in like 1983. Mm. Uh, no one was ever talking about self-sufficiency or, um, or uh, solar power or electric cars at that time. It just wasn't uh, even heard of gas gas prices were still a dollar 50 per gallon um, yeah. what that would be per liter over there in the UK but it was extremely cheap so yeah. there was no reason why anyone would want to um, envision a solar car or a um, electric car mm. so back in those days uh, talk about humble beginnings we had tents enclosed by four enclosed by two by fours staple gun with plastic over it. And so that would keep the tents dry and the ground dry. And if it rained, my dad would say, just go out there and shampoo your hair and run around the rain, son. And so uh, as we began to um, evolve, uh, we got our solar panels in, we uh, built a, a, um, a uh, design studio uh, where his father and my father's um, friend who had helped develop the property, uh, Jonathan Tennyson, and uh, together, all three of them uh, just put their energy into the development of the simplicity, but growing our own vegetables. Um, uh, 
and uh, catching all of our own water and uh, uh, catching our own electricity from uh, the sun, which actually those solar panels that are there right now are still tracking the sun and still collecting electricity mm -hmm. uh, to uh, building the first electric car that was from a Suzuki Samurai Jeep, 1982. So you can imagine it's just a little tiny chassis, but the batteries that we had back then were the big car batteries. And so the whole chassis was full of these car batteries with a wooden basket seat that you get in. And there's no steering wheel. The gas pedal was a wooden foot attached to the pedal, right? <laughs> and, and then another wooden foot on the other side was the brake pedal to uh, 1987 when they uh, built an elect uh, a, a solar race car which was the first solar car race across a continent. And that was in Australia from Darwin to um, Adelaide. Uh, this car, believe it or not, built by hippies, because this is what it was. It was pretty much like a hippie commune. I think yeah. I remember one day they were having a party and there was like an, an abundance of cookies. And I think I was eating one of these cookies. <laughs> I didn't realize what it was. My father was saying, why are you acting this way, son? Oh my God, you didn't eat those cookies, did you? So... Um, <laughs> it's just really extraordinary to see what one's vision can actually um, uh, create and do when you, when you have a passion. That's yeah. why I am, you know, when I think about my father and I think about uh, this man's vision and where he was going, it, it was for the salon stylist. It, then it uh, grew to the business, to education. Then it grew to the self-sufficient farm, and then it went to electric cars. I mean, quite honestly, I think my father was really getting excited about the electric car um, vision and world. And uh, if he were still alive today, probably would have been best friends with uh, Mr. Elon Musk for sure. Yeah, so. good on him. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, um, so you... you mentioned, uh, well, you didn't mention him, I'm looking at my notes, uh, John Paul DeJuria, um, who was the, the co-founder with your dad of John Paul Mitchell Systems. Um, when your dad passed away, and now you're the, the, you know, the co-partner of the company, uh, I mean, John Paul has an enormous you know, vision, credibility. Oh, but where, where do you start? We're talking about what he brings to the table. I suppose what I want to ask you is this, is that, what's that like for you working with him, being a partner with him? What have you, what, what have you got from him? I mean, your dad was this sort of creative uh, genius. Um, John Paul's a genius on another level. I mean, what a, what a great uh, opportunity for you having both these men in your life. Talk yeah. to us about that. Well, I mean, you had to imagine too, uh, I was just a teenager when my yeah. father passed um, and I had a lot of growing to do. And yeah. uh, John Paul was really running the business and uh, um, had just lost his partner who was the uh, face of the company. So he had to move quick on his feet. And uh, um, I'm very uh, blessed and proud and, and honored that John Paul had made the uh, decisions that he had quickly taking uh, and making his face, the face of the company and not skipping a beat. Mm. Um, and I think through my journey, I was really kind of locked in more on the hair side. That's where I really focused. Yeah. Um, but I was still in my early twenties. And, um, you know, I think my relationship with John Paul began to blossom when I was in my thirties. Yeah. And, um, for me to be able to really focus more on the education and the hair and then start to learn more about the uh, business end in my 30s with John Paul. Um, he's always been extremely supportive, uh, and, um, but he's never given anything away either. Uh, he's a very, very shrewd and uh, strong businessman who has a very strong opinion. And, you know, just like Sassoon's, you have to prove yourself. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's the strong leadership and strong opinion of the leaders, I believe, that make strong, um, successful people. Yeah. Uh, if you're strong enough to stay around, um, then you're going to reap the uh, benefits. And uh, today, um, I have an incredible relationship 
with the best partner in, in the world. There's no other partner like John Paul or anyone that I could ever imagine who would have just sold their tequila company Patron for billions and billions of dollars and still uh, honor the company that brought him to, to the dance. You know, uh, if it wasn't for the Paul Mitchell brand, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had the great success that he already has. And he protects the company dearly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, today, uh, his uh, daughter, Michaeline, is shrewd, just as shrewd and just as strong as her daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is now running the uh, company. Um, and, you know, uh, to be able to work with someone who gives so much of, of himself, mm-hmm. um, all the phil- uh, philanthropic work that he does, um, that's, that's a legacy that he's beginning to create that he wants to leave behind. Um, but he always does it on behalf of the hairdressers, on behalf of Paul Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, we are so blessed. So, so, so in, in, uh, in, uh, incredibly ble- uh, blessed to have that type of leadership um, that he lives and breathes the uh, Paul Mitchell brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to change track for a minute because I know uh, we we have about uh, 10, 15 minutes tops to go. Um, the school business that you have uh, outside of the United States, uh, I know there's one school, I think, in Slovenia, but outside of the United States, most people don't know about the Paul Mitchell schools. Uh, when I when I first saw them, the sheer size of them, the amount of them that you've got right across the United States, um, they are an amazing business in their own right. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about about the school uh, side of the business. Well, uh, first, I got to say, the Slovenians are incredible hairdressers. Um, I've, I've uh, had the wonderful opportunity to uh, be able to, to go to Slovenia and uh, do a couple presentations, uh, be able to work with them side side by side. Uh, me, uh, the uh, uh, the the proud owner of the Paul Mitchell school there. And he also has salons there. Incredibly talented. Wow. 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 I mean, it just puts a song in my heart to be able to watch those guys cut and color hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have in America, we have about 110 schools across the uh, United States. And it's a great combination of uh, cutting technique, color, but more, but more importantly, helping them break the fear and build the confidence to help them retail. So uh, we do a lot of different contests uh, for raising money for different philanthropic uh, 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 agencies and uh, that the Palm Mitchell School uh, raises money for, engage the students to help raise money for these different philanthropic pieces, which is great because it also allows them to uh, feel that they're part of something much more than just getting their hours and getting through uh, beauty school. And then also kind of um, creates a uh, beautiful culture that they themselves get to feel a part of. So instead of calling them students, we call them future professionals. Mm-hmm. It's a play on words. Instead of calling the teachers a teacher, we call them... Um, learning leaders. Learning leaders. Thank you. Gosh, you know... <laughs> This coronavirus thing is just you know, coronavirus on the brain sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, no, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, oh, and the schools are all cosmetology schools. Like they're all at sort of a 12 month or 10 month diploma. Yeah. There's no yeah. advanced school that you do, like the Sassoon Academy or something like that. We are currently talking about uh, creating a, um, a um, advanced school uh, in uh, Los Angeles. So, we're uh, right now uh, looking for a uh, location that we can um, uh, find and uh, create our uh, Paul Mitchell ed- Education Advanced um, Hub, so so to speak. So uh, get ready. It's coming. Uh, it is coming. In a couple of years, we're looking forward to it. It'll be a, a great destination. Hopefully, then um, you guys can come wherever you are around the world and within the U.S. You'll come to our advanced Academy, and then I'll give you guys a private tour in my uh, 
secret car garage. Man well, that, 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 that was going to be the next thing I was going to ask you about. I mean, I got uh, lucky enough to go and have a look at your, your man cave. And uh, there's plenty of men that have got a man cave, but uh, your, your man cave takes it to a whole other level. Your, your great passion is uh, motor cars. And yeah. it's not it's not just collecting them. Um, you, I mean, how many do you have to start with? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it's, it's embarrassing. It's kind of like starts off just like any woman, one or two handbags, and then you have 30. So um, I have 30 cars laying around. Okay. But, um, you know, uh, really what was kind of uh, my vision for, let's call it the man cave for now, um, yeah. is that uh, because at Paul Mitchell, we're always renting out studios to do photo shoots and uh, commercials. Uh, I chose to use half of the space as a uh, photography psych. So the psych is 35 by 40 foot corner cove. So it's a huge corner cove photography psych that you can do motion stills. Um, you can pull a car into it if you wanted to and for me. I also created a, um, a area that I could do education or do presentations. Um, so it's, um, I kind of call it the Taj Mahal. It's uh, the other half of it is, uh, the uh, car presentation. And then I have a, a warehouse across the street where I build them. So yep. it's quite easy. I tend to tell people anyone can buy a car, but no one can build it or yep. very few can. And um, I got really excited. I've been building uh, uh, restaurants and, um, you know, I get into it where I'll put tape on the cars and you sit back with my uh, mechanic. Um, I, have, I have a full-time, two full-time um, mechanics. And we talk about the vision of what it would look like if we altered it in certain ways, but still keeping its original look, if you understand. So yeah. like a 57 Chevy, uh, I was with John Paul and uh, someone had, uh, had, had damaged his car. Now he has a candy apple red 57 Chevy. Um, he said to me, Angus, can you fix it? I said, John Paul, would you let me go one step further? Would you let me restore and completely rebuild your car? Now, John Paul was born in the 50s. This car is a very serious car for him. Yeah. This is his dream car. He looked at me for 20 seconds in complete silence, burnt a hole right through my soul. <laughs> I've never felt so nervous in my entire life. He looked at me, he gave me the nod and a smile. He said, okay, I trust you. Mm. Well, two years later, we just unveiled John Paul's car to him. Mm. Uh, we put a brand, there's nothing 57 about it. Actually, the only thing he asked of me was, please keep it candy apple red. You can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I have rebuilt the car from frame, nut bolt. So it's a custom frame, 800 horsepower, manual transmission, supercharged V8, all the lights, all the wiring, all the brake, modern technology, LED. So when you get in it, it looks 57, but it will outperform a 911 turbo. Easy. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So on the day that I revealed it, my friend had a teal blue 57 Chevy that he let me borrow. I put it behind the garage door. I said to John Paul right before I had, I, I had opened up the, the uh, garage door. I said, John Paul, not so as not to uh, surprise you. There was a glitch with the paint. So I made sure that I made it period, correct color. And I had the door rolled up and presented this teal blue 57 Chevy. Where John Paul said, wow, uh, that's blue. And I walked him around the car, just very, very serious. Anthony, I was just going to give it. I was selling it to him. I'm like, and look, we even put a third tail light just for your safety. And he's just looking at me, trying to smile as best he can. But I could see the disappointment in his eyes. And then I rolled up the other garage door where we presented his candy apple red supercar. And he was just floored. Every, every detail, Anthony, I'm able to do, I took his signature, cut it and bill it, chromed it, and put it underneath, underneath the bonnet. So when you lifted the, the hood, the engine hood, his signature's right there in front of the uh, paneled interior that, that, uh, that just uh, 
surrounded the uh, motor. And on top of the motor, peace, love, and happiness, JP. JP on the wheels, on the foot pedals. Uh, even John Paul's sig- signature peace sign was on the gear shift knob. <laughs> so Fantastic. Uh, it was a wonderful moment. And I got to tell you, um, you know, being able to do things like that, um, my father's dream car and his car was a 65 Mustang convertible. Um, I'm building and am nearly done with a tribute to my father with his signature on the, on the, uh, on the cylinder uh, cover um, with Paul Mitchell uh, brand uh, on the uh, brake calipers the uh, Paul Mitchell logo on the brake calipers. I mean, every little detail is, is kind of the same way that I think of hair, you know? Yeah. Um, how, how, hands, how hands on do you get with all that? Uh, Cause I, I mean, well, I saw the, I saw the showroom and I mean, the showroom is like the most exquisite car showroom that I've ever seen. It was jaw dropping. I mean, to call it a man cave, just, it doesn't do it justice until you see it. And I, I knew that there was another garage across the road that you did restoration in, and you had full-time people in there, but uh, how, how hands-on do you get with this sort of stuff? You know, um, I would like everyone to think that I'm wearing the overalls and that I got a wrench, uh, but okay. it's not necessarily <laughs> true. Uh, my mechanic uh, hands me a beer and sits me on a bar stool. So, Um, (laughs) I have had some sandpaper and I have had a (laughs) wrench, but it's usually me tapping the uh, table and making music with it. Um, so, uh, but no, as far as the hands-on part, it really is the vision from telling them what the idea is and then having it come to fruition. So like hair for me, when I look at a client and I'm going to change them or right before getting on stage, I can cut someone's hair in 45 minutes. I can cut someone's hair in 20 minutes. I can cut someone's hair in 10 minutes to keep up with, with uh, Robert Crow means if I have to, mm-hmm. but to build a car can take anywhere from two to four years or more. So to be able to have that, that, um, that vision from start to finish. And then on top of that, it needs to be safe. Correct. Yeah. Like you just yeah. can't build a car and put the most horsepower motor like a thousand horsepower. This is, this is my next project, by the way, 1970 charger. I was born in 1970. Uh, the uh, Dodge charger is a car that is very muscular. Uh, for those of you that don't know uh, what a Dodge charger is, there's an American TV show that's called the Dukes of Hazard. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It's this car, but um, the GM has made 100 crate motors. It has a thousand horsepower. And they're only making 100. I have one of the 100 crate motors in my garage that's going in that Dodge Charger. Okay. With that, we had to make sure that it's not going to break, that it's going to stop, <laughs> and that it's going to have a suspension that's going to be able to be comfortable enough to be able to ride, which is what we did with John Paul's car. So, you know, uh, there's all these amazing elements that are so exciting as you begin to build and work through the process and of being able to stretch and mold the metal uh, and the shape of the body, but to still kind of keep it correct. So if you were to look at it, you would go, wow, that's a nice charger, but wait, that's, is that the rear, is the rear fenders wider? Cause you know, like, you, you start to see things that start to make you go, it looks classic. It looks period correct, but wow, that's really cool. That's really different. These are the things that really kind of excite me and get my, uh, get my, I can, I can tell. Uh, I mean, you're you're animated and passionate when you uh, talk about the business and you talk about hair, etc., um, and you talk about the products. But when you start talking about your cars, you, you come alive uh, even even more so. Uh, look, I know I promised you that uh, we would uh, wrap up because I know you had another appointment that you had to get to, um, and there's loads of things that I wanted to ask you about, which I basically haven't got time to. So uh, we're, we're going to have to get you back on the show uh, at another stage. So um, uh, where, where can people connect with you on on Instagram or social channels, or, or don't you do that? Yeah, well, my Instagram, I've been uh, really, well, you know, given what we've been going through this past, well, couple of months, um, yeah. it's really kind of given me an opportunity to dive back into my Instagram and get uh, back in touch with, with my audience, um, which has been fun, you know? Um, so Angus, uh, you can find me at Angus Mitchell 
on uh, Instagram. And, um, or if you're interested in uh, looking at this, uh, at my uh, shop, it's called gearboxla.com. And uh, you can go on there and uh, there's pictures of uh, some events that I've thrown uh, my birthday, the most important event. And uh, it's kind of great. You'll, you'll get a sense and a feel of what um, Iron Man's Lair looks like because it looks yeah, very definitely. much like Iron Man's Lair. That's the only uh, way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will put those links to your Instagram and uh, gearboxla.com, was it? Yes, sir. Uh, I'll put them on my uh, my website in the show notes so that people can get to it. And I highly recommend that you go and have a look at Iron Man's Lear. Um, so um, to wrap up, Angus, I just want to say thank you so much for being on this Grow My Salon Business podcast. Um, it's been great to have this opportunity to talk one-to-one with you, and I really appreciate you making yourself available. Uh, have you got any final words for our audience? Well, uh, you know, Anthony, first let me um, – Thank you for all the hard work and uh, leadership that you share uh, and that you give to our company and our salon owners and, um, and, 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 and all of our stylists as well. Uh, and end of the day, um, I know we haven't Thank really touched much. upon the uh, times that are going on right now, mm-hmm. but um, I do want to make everyone um, aware and clear that globally around the world, especially within the, uh, United States, there's a voice that needs to be heard. Um, and I think with that, uh, I think it's a very, very important that we as hairstylists have a magical gift, and that is to make people feel good. Um, so uh, with our gift, as people start to come out and we have a, a, a vaccine for this crazy virus and people's voices are being heard and they need to heal and they need to feel good about themselves. Uh, As a hair community, we have the power to be able to make this whole planet feel beautiful again. My wonderful girlfriend, she said to me, I bet you didn't know you were dating a brunette. So, you know, um, (laughs) here's our time. We can really have this opportunity to make women, make men, make everyone feel good, bring bring the uh, vibration of everything that's exploding out there back to calm and uh, how extremely rare and how extremely beautiful is it that we as hairdressers, this is what we, this is why we decided to uh, choose this profession to make a, uh, to, to make an impact, to make a profound impact on this planet. And we do it client by client. So I want to thank everyone for sharing their love and their and their passion and their techniques for just making the world a better place. Angus, that's a perfect way to wrap up. I know you have to rush. Thank you very much, Mr. Angus Mitchell, for being on the Grandma Salon Business Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. A lot. Thanks, Angus. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.